We've been in a series called Truly Blessed, and what we've been doing is we've been talking through the be attitudes, the be attitudes, which are the attitudes that which be in your life. And a couple people asked me, they said, hey, uh, you know, we missed a couple weeks. How can we follow along? You can actually follow along with us on the podcast, except last week we accidentally deleted the podcast. So we don't have last week's message. Uh, it was accidentally deleted by the board, but we will have this week's message up online. And uh, I'm sorry about that, but I guess that's one of those I, you wish you could be their moments, right? But we've been talking through the Beatitudes, the attitudes that Jesus says, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, these attitudes will be in your life. And so really right now we've been in the second section. I broke it into two sections for the Beatitudes. Um, I didn't break it in. Jesus did, but we're, I'm just kind of explaining how he broke it up. And the first three, he's talking about how to be empty, right? For those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek shall inherit the earth. He's talking about being emptied, right? Then he says the second section is really all about being filled. And so blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful. And then today we're going to talk through blessed are the peacemakers. So here's our verse for today. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Of God. And I want to pray one more time before I jump into this message. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you for your word. I pray that this message of peace and that we would be called peacemakers because we are your children would be evident. Any words that are from me, God, I pray would be quickly forgotten, but the things that are from you and your Holy Spirit would be forever remembered. We give you glory. This is your church. This is your word. And this is your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. One of the, I want to share with you a quote by this uh, pastor. He is a theologian and a pastor, and he's talking about the Beatitudes. His name's John Piper. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. It says this, One after the other, the Beatitudes tell us that the blessings of eternity will be given only to those who have become new creatures. For example, blessed are the merciful, so shall, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If we do not obtain mercy, we receive judgment. If we don't see God, then we are not in heaven. And if we are not called the children of God, we are outside of family. These are all descriptions of final salvation, and it's promised only to the merciful, to the pure in heart, and to the peacemakers. These things that we've been talking about are the true qualifications of what it means to have the kingdom of God here on earth and the kingdom of God in your family. And I've said it before, but it's worth saying again that none of these attitudes that we've talked about, purity, meekness, mercy, uh, mourning, none of these can be exempt from your life. You're like, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm cool with everything but I definitely don't want to mourn, or I'm cool with everything, but I definitely don't want to be kind to others, or I don't want to be merciful, right? There's none of these that are exempt from your life as walking with God and walking with him through this life. We can't be ignorant to purity, to mercy, to peace. When you are a child of God, these are the things that are in your DNA. These are the things that you live from. Why? Because Jesus is the prince of peace, right? Jesus is the prince of peace. That's why we are able to be 
peacemakers. God is a peace-loving God, and he is a peace-making God. The whole history of redemption, climaxing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was God's strategy to bring long-lasting peace between us, his children, and him, the perfect God. Without Jesus, there is no peace between us and God. So now, if you are in Christ, you have God's character. You have his peace. You are his child. We live like he lives. We pursue what he pursues. We love what he loves. We are only known by our actions, and our actions point to Jesus. Check this out in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through him, him being Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is saying through Jesus we are reconciled. So if you have not given your life to Jesus today, we want to invite you to do that. But through Jesus, that is how you are reconciled. Through Jesus you can have Peace. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace, because he earned peace because of his sacrifice. He says, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Such a beautiful thing. He gives us peace. Jesus brought peace to eternity. He did not bring like a temporary parlay where it's kind of like both sides are like, all right, we're okay. No, he he bridged the gap between God and us. He took on sin. He took on punishment. He took on pain. He took on suffering so that we could have eternal peace with him. I pray that as a church, we never get over the sacrifice that Jesus made. I've been in churches, and I've been in church long enough to talk to people who are like, okay, cool, Pastor Jeff, I get that, but like, I want to graduate from the gospel to move on to the deeper things. No, you don't ever graduate from the gospel. Maybe once we figure out how to love our neighbor more than ourselves, we can graduate onto something deeper. But until then, let's focus on the first few things that we have. Right? We always get to this idea in our mind that there's something more spiritual. Right? You can see it in some of the, the letters that Paul writes to the New Testament. And, and they're like, well, what about angels? I mean, have you seen these angels? These are, these are really cool. You know, I know a sign. I'm seeing this. This means this. And this means this. And, and what about number 666? I mean, 666 and 666 plus 666. You know, like they're like adding this stuff up. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You missed out. Jesus died for you on a cross. And so now you tell everybody about him. And the numbers and all that stuff, that's cool, but that'll work itself out. Let's focus on the love of God. Let's focus on the peace of God. I don't think we ever graduate from the gospel. Amen? You with me this morning? I know it's hot. We got the air conditioning pumped up in here. You know what I mean, right? It's not helping me because I'm sweating. I am just baking. It's like I'm wearing a sweatsuit up here. That's why I wore dark purple. Hallelujah. Forget it. You know, let's move on, right? But... Jesus passes his peace on to us, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. This basis is so, under, and so important. You cannot f- be a peacemaker without understanding why you have peace. We cannot be a peacemaker without understanding why we have peace. We only have peace because of his sacrifice. Galatians 5.22 
This is talking about those who are in Christ. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, this is what you have. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is not saying you always have these things. This is not saying you're perfect. You're not. I'm not. Nobody's perfect. It's never been more evident in my life than now. I don't know, for those of us in the room who have had children or have children, you realize your imperfections every single day, right? You're like, oh, man, right? I realize I'm not perfect, but this is the goal, that I can be someone of love and joy and peace. Because of Jesus, I can have peace. So this begs the question, now we have the theological understanding that the reason we have peace is because of Jesus, because he died. Without him, there is no peace. Then if I give my life to him, I become a child of God, right? I'm in his family, therefore I inherit his peace. So then the next step moves to what he says, blessed are the peacemakers. So that begs the question, what is a peacemaker? Who is a peacemaker? How can peacemakers in this world, how can us as children of God, be people of peace in this world where there's so much strife and hate and anger and everywhere you look there's a cancellation or there's a fight or there's something going on? How can you be a person of peace? I don't know if it's, you've ever thought that, but it's like how can I have peace in these tense and troubling times? Well, let me show you how Jesus did it. Because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, is what Hebrews says. So let's look to how he, did, he handled these difficult situations. And the, the story I'm about to read to you is probably one of the biggest quagmires any of us could ever find ourselves in, right? So let's look in John chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Jesus, it says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, now in the law of Moses has commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they they might have some charge to bring against him. They're trying to trick him in this moment. Jesus bends down, wrote with his finger on the ground. They continued to ask him. He stood up again and said this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones to the youngest. And Jesus was left alone standing before him, And the woman was standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There are a few things I want to point out from this passage. If you've been in church for any amount of time, this passage is familiar to you. But if you are not familiar with this passage, that's okay. I'm going to break it down to you. These are the Pharisees who hated Jesus. They did not like that he had such a big following. They did not like that he had so many followers on Instagram and Twitter, right? They wanted to cancel him. And so they figure, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put him in a situation to where he's going to have no way out. He's going to have no win. 
and it doesn't tell you the whole story, but isn't it funny that there's a woman who's caught in adultery, but there's no man, but it kind of seems like there's a, you know, takes two to commit, right? So something's short here, something's shady. What some scholars believe is that one of the Pharisees went in and and caught this woman because he was with this woman, and then they all brought her out together. So it was truly a trick to bring Jesus down, right? They throw her in front of him, and some, some uh, scribes and some things say that she was actually naked thrown in front of him. So there is a big problem on his hands. As he's teaching, imagine Jesus is teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers, and then boom, this happens. Thrown right in front of him. And then they're putting this question, hey, you're supposed to kill her. You're supposed to stone her. So what are you going to do, right? This is this situation. It is less than ideal, right? Like it is a rough situation. It's bad all around. The Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus because if he judges her harshly and says, yep, let's stone her, that's against Roman law. So then he will be killed by the Romans and also he will be looked at as harsh. If he gives grace and says, well, just let her go, then he will be looked at as soft and he does not fulfill the law and so he will be pushed away as whatever, progressive. So let me point out a few things that Jesus did to bring peace specifically in this conflict. The first thing is this, Jesus didn't shy away from conflict. If you want to be a peacemaker, we're going to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't shy away from conflict. Have you ever thought about the fact that he could have just walked away, right? Like he could have just been like, nope, you know, and just walked right off. Jesus exits stage left. You know what I mean? Like he could have just been like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm walking away, right? He didn't have to stay in the middle of this incredibly difficult situation where they bring this, this allegation and, and just imagine like blood boiling in this moment where it's like, this is a tense, tense situation. He stood right where he was, and he didn't move. And I think a lot of times when we throw out the word peace, we think of like, I don't know about you, but I don't know why I cannot think of peace and not just think of the Shire. You know what I mean? From Lord of the Rings. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean, right? The rolling hills and, oh, the peat, Mary, the peat. You know what I mean, right? Like, it's like I just, that, I can't not think of that, right? Just the, the, just the peace of the meadow, Right? That's really not what this situation is. Remember what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, the makers of peace. Just on a basic level, you cannot make peace in a conflict that you are not present for. If you run away from every conflict, if you walk away from every conflict, you cannot bring peace into that area because you're not there when most people encounter conflict, they walk away or they just try to ignore it or they don't talk about it or they just get bitter on the inside, right? Because why on earth would we want to deal with difficult situations, right? Now, let me be clear. I don't think you should be creating difficult situations in order to bring peace because that happens, right? You're like, you know, did you hear what they said about you? Did you hear what they said about you? And they're arguing. You're like, hold on, let me calm this down now. We're like, we wouldn't even be here without you creating this, right? Right? No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. Don't put yourself in those situations. But when the conflict comes, stay there. Don't shy away. And if you're thinking to yourself, why? Why should I? 
Why should I have to deal with this conflict? Because you're a child of God. And if these people are within your family and if you can bring the peace of God into that situation, then that's what God's calling you to do, to be a peacemaker. Maybe you're the only person who will think logically about the situation. Maybe you're the only person who will think thoughtfully and wholly about the situation. Maybe everyone else in the room will escalate the problem. But you, as a child of God, have the mind of God to say, I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to calm it down. Maybe there's an opportunity to speak on why you believe in peace. I believe in peace, why? Because of Jesus. You have the opportunity to share about who he is. Jesus didn't shy away from conflict, and I don't believe we should either. The second one is this. Jesus spoke truth in love. And I'm going to break this down. The first point is essential for you to even attempt point number two, right? So if you're not in the middle of conflict, you can't speak truth, right? Jesus kneels down and writes in the sand. And man, it's really fun to think about what he wrote. I've had some pastors who have been like, do you think he just started writing their sins? And partially, I think, I, I think he did. Because that would be baller, right? You know what I mean? Like he's just like writing down, like, okay, you over here, you know, you stole last week on Wednesday, you know? And he's just writing stuff down, right? And you're like, whoa, right? Because all of a sudden they just keep asking him, like, what's going on, Right? What's, what's happening here? But the reality is, is we don't know. It's really fun to speculate what he wrote on the ground, but we have no idea what he wrote on the ground. I can tell you what he did say. Math, or John chapter 8, verse 7. And they continued to ask him, and he stood up, and he said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone. He didn't shy away from conflict that they were trying to bring up. He recognized that the law does say that if you are caught in the act of adultery, you're stoned. But he's bringing in a new covenant. They don't understand this, but he understands this. He understands that you no longer stone that person because he's taking the stones on the cross for you so that they can have freedom. But they don't understand that. They're talking about the law. So he says, which one of you is perfect? If you're perfect, go ahead. Think about how dangerous this statement is. What if you have a narcissist in that, that group? You know what I mean? Who's like, I am perfect. You know, like, and they just throw it. Like, Jesus, this is a risk here. You know what I mean? Are you really going to do this? He did because he knows them. And the reality is that when he said that, he didn't change the law, but he pointed out the inconsistency in their morality, that they were pointing out her sin when they were living in sin themselves. It's such a beautiful way to flip the argument, right? Because I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a tense situation in your life, that's a rhetorical question because everyone in the room, you've been in a tense situation, okay? Don't lie. You're in church, right? You know what I mean? You've been in a situation where you're like, I want to smack somebody. And maybe you didn't think that. You didn't say it out loud. I'm just going to be the mouthpiece of you right now, right? What is your reaction? Are you someone who shuts down? Are you someone who gets loud? That's me, unfortunately. God's working on me. Are you someone who runs away? Are you someone who, who can't cope with the tensity and the awkwardness? So you're like, ah. Look at what Jesus did. He was a peace 
maker in the situation. And here's how he did it. The Bible talking about Jesus in John chapter 1. is a John, The book, first chapter of John is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it's so theological when it talks about Jesus and who he is. And it says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that if we are going to be peacemakers that we need to speak as Jesus did with both grace and truth. Many times we have one side of the equation. We feel because we're on the side of truth that we're going to tell you what to do and you're going to deal with it. Right? That's a lot of times how we are. I'm going to tell you how it is. On the other hand, we have grace. So everything's all good. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Right? I believe in order to be true peacemakers, we need to have both grace and truth. The reality is that truth without grace is just mean. It's harsh and it's rude many times. But grace without truth is meaningless. It's just words, just like everything else. Without one or the other, you cannot truly find Jesus because he was both. He was grace and truth. Grace and truth. If you know yourself and you're here and you're like, I'm one of those people who like stands on the truth and that's kind of who I am, then I want you to think about, do I need to lean into the grace aspect of Jesus a little bit more? Or if you're someone who's like, grace, grace, like I give my, my child 7,000 opportunities before I give him a punishment, right? Grace, grace, grace. Maybe you need to focus a little bit more on the truth. What truth am I standing on? What's the basis for my reality? And the final point is this. Jesus' goal was reconciliation and peace with God. Jesus' ultimate goal is reconciliation and peace with God. Check it out. John chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. In every single conversation that Jesus encountered in his three years here on earth, his goal was to bring reconciliation between that person and God the Father and to bring peace moving forward that he knew he would ultimately bring through his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus looks at this woman, mind you, most likely still naked and in shame, broken, beaten, probably really, really down on her luck. And he says, has no one condemned you? She responds, no one, Lord. She recognized in that moment, and maybe she'd heard rumblings about Jesus. Jesus, again, as I said, the Pharisees hated him because he was so famous. Because he was popping off, as the kids would say. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean, right? He was just, he was just going hard. And, and, and so that, they, she might have heard rumblings about him. Maybe she thought, maybe he's, he could help me. I don't know. I don't know the situation. I don't know what she had heard about Jesus. But after this encounter, she said, your Lord. There's something different about you. And your Lord with a capital L. How she specifically said it is very important. You, no one has condemned me. Lord. 
She recognizes who Jesus is. How does she recognize that? Through his actions, through his peacemaking. Now, potentially through his writing on the ground when he was writing their sins, and she thought, I don't know how you understand this, right? Maybe you're God. But she recognized that he was Lord through his actions of peacemaking, through his actions of standing in the gap, speaking truth. And that should how it be with us. That should be how it is with us. When you are a peacemaker at your job and you bring peace to strife and you try to think logically about a situation or at your family outing or at you know, your relationship, when you live as a peacemaker, you are showing that you are a child of God. It does not mean there is the absence of conflict. It does not mean that you will not have to speak truth. But it means that your ultimate goal is not to stick it to the man or to tell somebody off. Your ultimate goal is that through your actions and through your life that they would not see you, but they would see Jesus as Lord. Somebody, you better say amen to that. You better see Jesus is Lord through my life. Not that I'm so good because none of us are, but that we know someone who is good and that they can know him too. To be peacemakers, we can walk into difficult situations and we can bring peace, not because we have earned it, but because we have it through Jesus' sacrifice. How many people in your life have you walked away from because of the tensity of the relationship, because of the difficulty of the relationship, because of the pain when you could have brought peace? I felt as I was writing this message, and this is a dangerous thing for me to ask of you, but is there someone you need to make peace with right now? I felt as I was writing it that God was like, you need to ask. Is there someone that they need to make peace with? that you're holding bitterness, that you're holding anger, that you're holding frustration, that, that you've walked away from because you're not, it's not worth it. And there are situations when you're like, you know what, this is toxic and it's really going to hurt me, so I have to walk away. But what about God is saying, hey, I want you to bring peace. Here I am, Lord, send me. I guess I'll bring peace into the situation. Is there anyone in your life, is there anyone in your work, in your family, that you're like, I think I need to bring reconciliation and ultimately bring them to Jesus? Ask if, Abby, you could come to the keys at this time, but I want to ask a quick question. How many of us have ever seen the movie Miracle, the hockey movie, right? This movie's awesome. So if you haven't seen it, book it you know what I mean right it's a great movie right but it starts with coach Herb Brooks and what he's trying to do is he's taking all of these players who are not famous he's taking all these college players and he brings them on and it's if you don't know it's team USA uh, and it's when they went to win the world or when they went to win the Olympics right they went to win the Olympics and the United States we never win the Olympics in hockey because all the good hockey players are from Canada Okay, so we never win, but this year we had a chance to win. And so what happened is he brought all these players together. And as he brought all these players together, he asked them a couple questions, right? He said to them, he said, what is your name? Where are you from? And who do you play for? Those are the questions. And as the movie goes, you see different clips 
And they're like, Jack O'Callaghan, Boston, Massachusetts. Who do you play for? UMass, right? And he's going through all these different people. And they keep saying, who do you play for? University of Minnesota or Boston or whatever. And they're saying their colleges that they were from because they had all just gotten out of college. And then it gets to an exhibition game. And at the exhibition game, they're sitting there and a couple of the guys are messing around and they're not paying attention and they're about to lose and he's irritated. He's an old school coach. He'd probably be fired for this now, but he tells his assistant coach after the game, he says, get a whistle. They go on the ice and he starts making them run sprints. And I played a little bit of hockey, like street hockey. I've never played like organized hockey, but uh, skating from blue line to blue line, I got about three of those before I fell on the ice because I was like, I'm done, right? I'm tired. So they were skating back and forth, back and forth. And he just kept sending them again, 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 again. Literally, guys were passing out. This is a true story. Guys were passing out. They were throwing up on the ice. They were brutal. And then finally, the captain yells out, Mike Arruzzioni, Winthrop, Winthrop, Massachusetts. And then the coach looks at him and says, who do you play for? He says, I play for the United States of America. And then he looks at the other coach and he says, that's all, and walks away. He had been asking him this question again and again and again. And in this tense situation, in this moment where there was conflict, the coach is irritated because they're not taking it seriously. The team is not taking it seriously. One leader stood up and he said, who do you play for? He said, who he played for was the United States of America. He recognized that the team he was on and the kingdom that he was playing for. It is the exact same way with you and Jesus. So many times we can be in these tense situations and we're, we're trying to stop the tense situation. Who are you? I'm from here. I'm from here. Who do you play for? I play for myself. What if God was asking you in these tense situations to say, who do you play for? I play for the kingdom of God. And I play for the Prince of Peace. And I want you to know him. I want you to find him. The whole team was missing the point of the exercise. They were like, well, I, I play from where I was before. We don't play for who we were before Christ. Now that we are a part of the kingdom of God, we play for his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to leave you with this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. If you're in this room and you say today, you know what, I want to, I want to be reconciled with God. I've, I need to have a reconciliation with God. I need peace with him. I've been not a peacemaker. I've been a troublemaker. I've been causing strife. I've been causing pain. But I want to be someone who brings peace into these situations. I want to bring peace into the life of my family, peace into the life of my job, peace into my neighborhood. I don't want to be someone who walks away. I don't want to shy away from conflict because I know the Prince of Peace, because I know Jesus, because I am a child of God. I want to be a peacemaker. And if that's
that's you in this room and you say, you know what, I want to be a peacemaker and I want to just show God that I'm serious about it. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands up just so I know who I'm praying for. I'm going to pray for you and we're going to be done today. But I want to encourage us, church, in this world of pain, in this world of strife, we need to be people of peace. We need to be peacemakers in Frankfurt, in the South Chicago area, in Chicago, in Illinois, wherever you are, we need to be people of peace. And if that's you and you want to say, you know what, I need to be a person of peace today. I want to recognize this to God and to myself. I'm going to count to three. You can shoot your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Shoot them up. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you died for us. I thank you that through your ultimate sacrifice, we could be made free. And God, today we ask that you would make us aware of who you are, that the Prince of Peace would enter into our situations, you would enter into our lives, you would give them wisdom. I pray for every hand raised, that they would have wisdom to what they should do in these situations, that they would be people of peace, they would not be peace of people of gossip or bitterness or guilt or shame. They would be people of peace, that the world would know us, that when people walk into these doors, they would say there's something different about this place. There's something different about this church because they want peace with God. God, strip away all of our our vanity, anything that we think is better about us. God, we want to be about you. This is your church. This is your kingdom come and your will be done. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, and amen.